You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shaka Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of The Retail Perch. We're back here again with my co-host, uh, Gary, his, whose job is briefly threatened by Stephanie. And I think trying to make sure Gary feels secure that he is the permanent co-host. <laughs> of the I don't know. So Stephanie's doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, she certainly does. She did a great job. I mean, we had some terrific conversations over the last few weeks. And today we're back talking about technology. And as you guys know, the retail perch is all about talking about retail trends, mostly as it applies to the supermarket industry, talking about challenges, you know, and trying to unpack some of the technology, demystifying all those things. If there's specific topics you want us to talk about, do email us, the retail perch at birdseye.com. And today, actually, uh, we have a guest that I have known for several years. We followed this company right from pretty much the day they got started almost. And they've done an amazing job. So I won't take any more time, but I'll introduce here the CEO and founder of Grocer Key, Jeremy Naren. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to the Retail Perch. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great it's to great you. to have you here. And, you know, just uh, for our listeners here, Jeremy, if you can take as much time as you need, just not the whole day, talk about, you know, where you came from, your roots, you know, how did you wind up in the grocery industry and what motivated you to start Grocer Key? Yeah. So I've been in e-commerce grocery for close to 16 years now. Prior to starting Grocer Key, I ran a on-demand grocery delivery service in Madison, Wisconsin for roughly a decade. We were essentially a business that, you know, now has, you know, very much become in vogue with the, you know, the instant needs category that, you know, there's so many businesses sprouting up now offering, you know, a curated selection of grocery items and, you know, uh, for delivery in 20 minutes or less. And that's very much what we were doing but but before it really became you know in vogue like it is today, so very similar to you know the models you're seeing from from GoPuff and Joker and Getter and you know many others now, we were doing that just in one you know smaller college town market uh, for close to a decade. We built all of our own technology, you know, kind of learned everything from the ground up, everything from merchandising to you know how to operate out of a what would now be characterized as a micro fulfillment center. Uh, just no automation, of course. And out of a desire to actually scale that business, I partnered up with the gentleman who became my co-founder for Grocerkey, uh, Daniel Glucksman. He essentially became my technical counterpart. And we decided we wanted to, to scale that business by partnering with local grocery stores in college towns throughout the United States. And so we shifted from warehousing our own inventory to working with a mom and pop grocer in downtown Madison. And that retailer happened to have their own e-commerce business that they had been operating for a few years. And, you know, this is going back to 2014. So many grocers were not even online at this point. And those that were, were kind of doing it um, uh, to, to serve a very small subset of their customers, you know, those that really needed e-commerce and needed local delivery. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of sophistication in their operation. And we got to witness that firsthand and felt like maybe there's a bigger opportunity to 
pivot and become effectively a B2B software company versus a direct-to-consumer business. And it can be debated if we made the right move from a business perspective, given all that's gone on now. But for us, that was just really exciting because we felt like it was an opportunity to effectively partner with the, you know, the Davids of the world being retailers, you know, combating, you know, the Goliaths, you know, mainly Amazon, of course, at that time. And now, you know, there could be some debate about others that have entered the space um, that, that pose a major threat to retailers. And so that was a really exciting opportunity for us. And we felt like it was one that we couldn't pass up on. So we pivoted the business and right out of the gate, we, we found a, a multi-billion dollar retailer to partner with. And they invited us in to you know, not only serve as a technology partner, but also an operations partner. And that was uh, Woodman's Markets. And they asked us to come in and operate their e-commerce business. And that's kind of led to the evolution of grocer key over the years. And I think very much is what makes us unique as a technology company, having kind of equal parts technology and operations expertise. Fantastic. Um, so what were you doing before you got into the e-commerce space? Um, so I had just graduated from college. I went to UW-Madison. Uh, I was actually a history major um, on a path to become a teacher. And I did work in a uh, public high school in my hometown of St. Paul for close to a year um, after graduating. And um, just decided that wasn't, that wasn't for me. That wasn't my, my long-term path. And I had this idea in the back of my head, um, to start the business that I eventually started in Madison, um, somewhat modeled after a business that was in Washington, DC by the name of DC snacks, which no longer exists today, but you know, they were in the mold of, you know, many others that came before them. A lot of people don't know that, but this whole instant needs category, I mean, it existed even going back to the mid nineties. You know, you had a business by uh, by the name of Cosmo that started up in New York City and expanded to a number of different markets. And so I studied up all of those businesses and, you know, kind of uh, became an entrepreneur just by researching and learning, which was, you know, in many ways, that was my college background as a, as a history major. So did America lose a great teacher? <laughs> lost a teacher, maybe not a great one. <laughs> That's a fascinating story. So somebody who's not even from technology, you studied history and you wanted to become a teacher and you started a tech company. That's 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 a fantastic story right there. Yeah, he, right. a lot of blood sweat. I'll write the, the history of e-commerce. That's yeah, right. there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So so I know Grocer Key today, you know, you guys announced recently where you've been acquired. So congratulations. I you know for most entrepreneurs, that's kind of like a, a fantastic landmark to reach where you've built a company that you feel is met the product market fit and somebody thinks it's valuable enough to acquire. So congratulations to you and your team. So I know it's been a very interesting journey for you. So how has Grocer Key kind of, how have you seen the evolution of e-commerce since the day you guys started? Uh, you know, obviously so much has changed, you know, since 2014 and a lot of that's occurred I would say, you know, with the first milestone being, you know, uh, Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods, you know, that led to a huge transition. And then obviously over the last, you know, 18 months plus COVID. Um, but, you know, we went from a business that was one to 2% to now being, you know, double digits by most of the data that's out there. And so, you know, when you see a kind of an order of magnitude, like shift, you know, obviously prioritization for, for grocers has shifted and there's just a lot more focus on the kind of the finer details rather than simply trying to stand up an e-commerce site and seeing what, you know, what comes of it. So I think it's more than anything, a psychological shift among retailers who are, you know, now our clients. 
So, so Jeremy, from what you're seeing and, you know, across the retailers that, that you work with, is e-commerce profitable now for grocery retailers or are they still struggling to cross that line? Yeah, so it, it really, to me, it depends where you're at in the journey. It absolutely can be profitable, but it takes a lot of, you know, focus on the, the, the smaller details. If you simply stand up a site and fulfill orders using labor and store and don't really look at the business, you know, comprehensively and focus on how to gain efficiencies, it's sort of, it's very difficult to make profitable because you're you're taking a fairly low margin business and you're adding incremental costs. That's not a great equation. But there are ways to really reduce costs, bring in new revenue streams. You know, obviously that's why we're seeing so much about digital media now, you know, and you know, focus on how your technology partner can assist you with maybe highlighting items that are, you know, higher gross margin. So if you really focus on all of the, what might seem like minutia, but if you focus on all of that, you know, and, and give it a lot of scrutiny, it is absolutely possible to be profitable and it can be profitable without all of the bells and whistles you read about, like automated, you know, micro fulfillment centers. You can run a profitable e-commerce business, the filling orders with, you know, staff in store. I'm sure a lot of grocery retailers will be glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, Abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a controversial topic, but I, yeah, I happen to believe, you know, it's one that everyone should be optimistic about, but it, it takes time and iteration for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about the consumer demand for that, right? So I think the fact that the demand exists means that the grocers have to figure out a way to make it profitable if they want to continue to stay in business. And I guess what you're saying is the ones that will that figure out a way to make it profitable are the ones that are going to win out in the end, because as e-commerce share grows, it's going to shrink margin if you're not making it profitable for yourself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there are retailers that are giving this, you know, the attention it deserves that are building internal teams and they're, they're giving the appropriate scrutiny to all the you know various elements of e-commerce. Um, and those are the retailers that, yeah, I think are probably stacking the deck in their favor the most to, you know, uh, you know, to be sustainable well into the future. You know, a lot going on across the industry, a lot of talk about Instacart, what they're doing, where they may be going, et cetera. What are you hearing from the retailers you work with and talk with? How are they viewing Instacart as a, a real partner or as a growing threat? You know, it's it's somewhat of a mixed bag. You know, obviously, if you you know, if you read, you know, industry folks, you know, I guess myself and all of us, you know, included, I think there is widespread concern. And I think that's warranted because, you know, you're you're bringing in a partner who ultimately is going to be focused first and foremost on their consumer and their consumer, you know, in many times is is what you would think is yours. So that, that creates a, a bit of a, a problem, of course. But I think it's largely about how you view them and how you partner with them. I think the retailers that have less concern are those that are approaching them more appropriately, at least in my eyes, as a source of incremental revenue rather than an exclusive partner to run your entire e-commerce business. And so I think there is a major distinction there. I think the retailers that that are utilizing marketplaces as a source of incremental revenue are generally happy. Um, And those that are concerned are maybe the ones that have gotten a little bit ahead of themselves and partnered up a little too closely. And now they're behind the curve when it comes to having control of their own e-commerce site and, you know, their own, you know, staff operating the business to at least a degree. Um, That's a really interesting distinction that you bring about, because I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to, at the end of the day, 
have some degree of uh, control over and access to your customer. And the more of that you outsource to a third party, the less they become your customer, I guess, at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And, you know, as we all know, uh, you know, that relationship with the customer is all important in, in retail, right? Especially grocery retail. And, you know, I think following along behind that is, the importance of, of digital engagement with shoppers. And, you know, I, I think any amount of that the traditional retailer seeds to a third party, you know, certainly does not help their future. Yeah. And I think that's the key. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's so much that can be done with the data, you know, from a personalization standpoint, but also from a monetization standpoint. Yeah. And, Without that, I think you probably do uh, relinquish control of your profitability. So as this becomes a bigger percentage of sales, you're moving in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, the marketplaces are you know the beneficiary of all that. And so um, it's just a matter of striking the right the right balance, in my view. And, and that's kind of what I'm hearing from our clients as well. Right. So in terms of you know implementing, and I guess you know it depends on the size of the retailer. If you're like a one to five store, 10 store chain, or you're a hundred store chain, uh, it seems like data discipline has a lot to do with speed to market, right? So how well you're able to maintain your categorization, your product, your attribution information. And obviously from e-commerce perspective, it becomes incredibly important because a customer goes on a website, they wanna see clean images, they wanna see nice descriptions, they wanna be able to search well. So have you seen some of that discipline kind of improve over the time as you've been in business or are the challenges kind of at the same level as you go along? Definitely improvement. I think everyone, myself included and our clients, I mean, I think everyone wants to see change faster. And I think there is still a big problem in the industry, everything from just getting updated images to product descriptions and attributes that, you know, play a key role, obviously, in the, you know, not just the e-commerce experience, but the digital experience. I think there still is a lot of work to be done. And this is part of, I think, a broader challenge of just the, you know, the, the whole digital transformation of the industry is there's so many you know, third parties involved that all need to kind of be working in lockstep. And that's obviously, you know, easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's amazing. Every retailer has their own method of categorization, their own departments. And I mean, it's like, yeah. there, there's, there's no standard out there. And I think yeah. uh, if there's retailers listening out there, I think it's a good idea to maybe look at a standard that you, that you like with and try to have the discipline to stick with it. Because I've also seen retailers start with a standard and then diverge over time. And it's not uh, kept up to date or somebody is, yeah. you know, something slipped through the cracks and then, pretty soon you have a mess in your hands. And I can imagine if someone, a retailer like that wants to have their own e-commerce solution implemented in-house, all these things come back to bite them, right? Yeah. In terms of speed to going to market. Yeah. It, and it's an, an example of just another thing that I think warrants, you know, a high degree of scrutiny. I mean, you can't, you can't be totally dependent upon a third party to solve a problem of this magnitude. They're, they're not going to give you as an individual retailer, regardless of your size, the attention deserved, uh, you know, to, to really solve this problem. So again, a lot of talk in the industry, a lot of activity around, you know, fast and even faster delivery. Kroger and Instacart's partnership around 30-minute delivery. And let's see, I think it was Ahold also signed on uh, mm -hmm. with Instacart. 
you know, some of the big metro areas like New York, it seems like every other day you're reading about another startup, you know, from from uh, Goldpuff to uh, Joker to Gorillas to whoever. Do you see that trend continuing? Do you think that is going to expand out to other markets or is it going to be confined to just some of the biggest metro markets? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's there's a lot there um, to analyze. I mean, there's been so much VC money poured into that space. It's hard to imagine it not continuing in a very meaningful way. And, and there is there is some consumer demand for that. I'm personally a little bit skeptical about the the degree of consumer demand, and I think eventually that will lead to probably some level of consolidation in that space and a focus on certain geographies where it can truly you know, be commercialized in a sustainable way. But I, I do think it undoubtedly plays a role in the broader ecosystem. It's just a matter of, you know, to what degree. And, and I happen to be of the belief it's it's a relatively small degree and that will manifest itself. And, you know, like I said, consolidation and, and focus on markets where it can truly work rather than just expansion at all costs. Right. So Jeremy, I mean, you know, while we we started this podcast right in the middle of COVID about a year ago, and obviously most a lot of podcasts, um, the guests we were there was some conversation around how this pandemic has impacted the acceleration of technology and adoption of technology. And I think from all accounts, we've heard that e-commerce has probably jumped maybe five years in terms of adoption and growth in terms, you know, in widespread adoption. From a from an industry technology perspective, how have you guys kind of uh, adapted to that increase in demand? You know, we had to really, you know, we were already an agile company, but we had to become more agile. I mean, there was so much change so quickly. So we had to alter the way we were handling really all of our processes, whether it be you know, implementation or the way we handle statements of work for retailers that wanted to customize our platform, you know, our handling day-to-day tickets, getting questions answered. We had to basically tear up everything and, and rebuild. Um, but it also created you know, some level of innovation for us where we decided to create an initiative called the GK Open platform, where we were giving retailers the ability to you know, create a degree of customization on their own if they have you know, in-house developers or maybe a, a local uh, you know, third-party dev shop that they work with. In many cases, we were you know, giving them kind of the keys to, to, to build on their own. And that's something we're really excited about growing with. We're, we're you know, slowly but surely introducing that to more of our clients. But you know, it was just a lot more day-to-day hand-to-hand combat, Con- hand-to-hand combat. And I'm sure that's no surprise. You know, that's probably the case for every technology company, you know, in this space. So from a differentiation perspective, how do you guys see yourselves? What do you think are some of the things that make you stand apart as a solution? Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, the, the background that I mentioned, you know, being, you know, kind of operators just as much as a technology company. At the end of the day, I do think this is, you know, an operations business made better by technology, not the other way around. I've said that since day one. And, you know, I believe that that's the case even more today than when we first started. And so I think we have the ability in many cases to serve as a as a partner helping the retailer think about the business comprehensively and not just you know licensing a solution and 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 walking away 
And I know many of our technical counterparts uh, do a nice job of, uh, of, of assisting the retailer as well. But I just think that given our operational background, there's, there's potentially greater breadth and depth than what we can do, you know, from a store level operations standpoint, you know, everything from how to design staging areas, what equipment should be considered, you know, what pick and pack process should be deployed, you know, uh, how to operate digital media. We've had an in-house team and a number of platform embedded capabilities on that front for a, a number of years. So, you know, I, I think it's the comprehensive outlook that we take on on the uh, on the space and just the way we engage with clients is, is pretty unique from what I've observed. If, if you were to look out, you know, five years into the future, what do you think grocery e-commerce looks like? effectively like it is today, just maybe a greater portion of total sales, or do you see it significantly changing somehow? Yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely gonna be change. It's a, it's a complex question though, because the future doesn't look the same for everyone. And so I think you have to view it as somewhat of a spectrum in terms of the degree to, of change for you know any particular retailer. A retailer with you know stores you know, largely in the rural Midwest probably is not going to have to evolve at the same rate that, you know, as a retailer with stores in you know, Manhattan, of course. So the, the level of acceleration will be different for different retailers, but I undoubtedly think e-commerce will continue to expand. And I think that that will lead to, you know, more deployments of, you know, micro fulfillment centers. And, you know, we're obviously seeing a lot around, you know, just walkout technology and there's a number of players in that space. I definitely think we'll see more of that but it doesn't mean that it's going to be exclusively that for everyone. And that's where I think there's often confusion is, you know, how do you figure out, you know, how to strike the right balance of, you know, evolution and, you know, pragmatism. And I think that that's, that's kind of like the, the nuance where retailers will either succeed or fail. You know, you can, you can evolve too quickly, you know, that, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So do you, you know, recently there's another e-commerce company that you're probably aware of, Fresh Shop, that got recently acquired by NCR. And found that very interesting because it maybe signaled that, you know, point of sale companies are trying to see themselves as more comprehensive store solutions, right? Where you're not just servicing the in-store shopper, but even people who shop online. Do you see that as a trend? Because it seems like an interesting direction for a POS company to go in because, they're clearly missing out on this piece that's growing pretty big from a transactional standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an example of where like lines might become more blurred. You know, it's not about e-commerce and in store. It's about, you know, it's about the total business. How can you improve the entire business? And obviously as e-commerce becomes a bigger percentage of sales, you know, maybe the importance of hardware when it comes to you know point of sale um, becomes a little bit less important but at the same time there's a lot of evolution in that space and some of the um, you know the legacy hardware uh, providers within point of sale I'm sure are concerned about how can we play a role and you know this the, the the portion of sales that are expanding right so if you if you had your three wishes and you could wave your wand and make retailers do something that'll make deployment of your solution simpler and faster, what would they be? The first one I think I would probably say is all three of them, if it's a true wish list for me. And that's, you know, focusing on getting the business right and thinking about it comprehensively versus trying to deploy as many bells and whistles within the technology as possible. I think that's the common thread we see 
that retailers uh, are often getting sucked into is focusing so much on, you know, my competitor has this feature. I got to have that feature yeah. too, versus how do I just get the fundamental, you know, business right? And how do I begin to expand with those fundamentals in, 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 in place and maybe layer on, you know, bells and whistles. So, um, I don't mean to drift away from the question, but for me, that that one thing would probably be one, two, and three. Oh, I, I, I think Gary and I agree with that. We've seen that a lot when we speak to retailers, and it seems like every shiny object that comes along, they feel like you know they should have it because somehow yeah. it might make a difference. I guess this is kind of a FOMO, like what if this is the solution? And so having to stepping back and looking at the big picture, yeah, not to throw a pun here, but look at the bird's eye view of your business, so yeah. say, right? And see yeah. what's going on. No, I, 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 I think I completely agree. I think it was, there was one thing that you want retailers to do is step back. And I think uh, we all feel that the future is going to pass us by faster than it will, but I think there's always time to step back and take a look and evaluate your approach, right? A hundred percent agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. all right. So, um, yeah, uh, again, Jeremy, thinking of you know all the retailers you work with, uh, have any of them deployed a micro-fulfillment center? Uh, several of the retailers we work with now are closely evaluating it. Um, None of the retailers that we work with have deployed uh, anything to date, though. Yeah. Okay. And that seems to be generally the case, uh, you know, across the industry. There seemed to be, a, and there was, a real spike in interest around MFCs, you know, yeah. uh, as we got into the first few months of the pandemic and everybody's e-commerce sales were exploding. Uh, but then it seems to have calmed down. And I see a lot of retailers in that. Yeah, not going to rush into this. Let's evaluate and see where to go here. Yeah. And frankly, I think that's smart. Um, I think yeah. getting the decision right is more critical than, you know, uh, you know, getting it done today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, operating dark stores or dedicated fulfillment centers? Uh, we've, we've seen that. And, you know, I've experienced that, you know, even going back to, to my previous business. And I think in many ways that can you know, I think about it as an evolution along, you know, the, the the fulfillment journey. I think in many ways that can make sense as a precursor to, you know, an automated fulfillment center. And there are, uh, you know, certain providers that it seems like provide a better, you know, on-ramp in that way. Yeah. So last week, Jeremy, we had in our episode, we were talking about, we're talking to Brandon Schultz, who's the president of the Wisconsin's Grocery Association. And we're talking about labor shortages and how it affects different aspects of their business. And I'm thinking, you know, when it comes to e-commerce, it's obviously this, it's labor intensive to some degree where you have people picking, but I know there's the, whether the retailer is supplying the labor to do that in the store or whether it's a gig economy based solution that's providing. Do you think that's being impacted with the whole labor shortage that we're seeing out there in the market? Absolutely. I mean, I think that plays a major role in why we saw, you know, marketplaces grow, you know, they provided a solution to that, you know, they, they, they offered the technology and the labor, um, and quite honestly, that was a major piece of our decision to, to partner up with Point Pickup, you know, who has historically been a last mile provider reliant on, you know, gig economy workers um, and had started to deploy those, uh, uh, you know, gig economy workers to, to also do um, in-store pick and back. We, we think there is a future where, 
you know, at minimum retailers begin to outsource a portion of that activity, maybe not all of it. We certainly see the benefit of owning uh, a portion of that experience. Um, but due to the labor challenges, I think many retailers will not have a choice. They'll, they'll need to look to third parties uh, to assist them, if nothing else, just out of a need to serve customers today and not having access to, to more labor to do it. That, that's a, a, a fair approach for a number of retailers that maybe can't justify dedicated resources in each store to fulfilling orders and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it even relates to this instant needs category. That is such a diff difficult uh, business to get right with in-house W-2 labor, you know, being able to flex up and flex, uh, flex down based on demand versus just paying one-to-one -to, -one to have someone come in and fulfill those as they, you know, as they come in. I think that's another big theme that we'll see is retailers deploying that with third parties. Obviously, we're already seeing it with Instacart, but even within their own white label solution, looking to a third party labor provider to assist them with that. Yeah, interesting. I, I had a really crazy stat the other day uh, about the labor shortage and said there were 10.4 million job openings currently in the United States and there's 7.2 million people looking for work. So there's a well, there's 1.25 ratio between people who are looking for jobs and jobs out there, which is absolutely crazy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> think about it. Right? Very, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely crazy, and I and I wonder if um, even how much the gig economy has been impacted, and maybe it has not, because people find flexibility in the gig economy of being able to work on demand, and they set the hours when they turn on and off, right? And maybe it's just showing us a trend that's happening out there that people value flexibility and freedom as a as opposed to fixed schedules. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think the gig economy has benefited from from everything. I mean, there's there's a multitude of ways, but yeah, I think that what you just highlighted is probably the biggest theme of a greater desire for flexibility, um, and it allows people to have maybe a full time position, uh, but maybe their earnings doesn't need to you know be quite as high because they can augment that with you know gig economy work as well. Yeah. Right. So uh, so you've got grocer key to a, a very nice spot. Where, where where do you guys go from here? What's the where do you see the future of grocer key here? Well, so now we're you know we're a part of Point Pickup, and you know we just made this announcement you know a couple months ago, but we're quickly merging our teams and you know our technology and our solutions to offer you know essentially what I just you know had outlined, and we're really excited about it. Where we can take this model that we you know, where we kind of built up a case study with Woodman's, take all the expertise we developed. And you know, really, you know, start to put it out there in the market at scale, where we can be a white label technology provider, but we can also come in and fully operate the business. Now we're using gig economy workers instead of W two workers. It's a result of you know being part of Point Pickup, but we see great benefit in that for for a variety of reasons. And some retailers may elect to do this exclusively. Some retailers may want to just augment their only labor. Some retailers might want technology, and some might just want labor. And so we're excited about you know having all of these, you know, products and solutions under one roof and, um, you know, just continuing to expand with that. That's fantastic. No, I mean, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I think people listening to this episode will have to hit the pause button a few times just to, you know, collect all that and digest that. And, you know, we do have episodes here and most of them are, uh, I probably meet this where, um, you know, in the course of the conversation, I don't even re recall some of the statements that happened. They're like, 
Jeez, I mean, Jeremy really went deep because I think uh, a lot of your views concur with uh, how Gary and I think in terms of the industry and where they need to be going and how they need to be thinking. We see a lot of knee-jerk reactions happening fairly often and we cringe at that sometimes because, you know, you don't know what the impact of that is going to be three years down the road when something happens. Uh, but this has been a great conversation. Gary, anything before we close? No, this has been great, Jeremy. I'm glad you were able to uh, join us today. Yeah, yeah. And Jeremy, by the way, uh, this is to all our guests. So we do send out our retail perch mugs. So if you are, uh, if you can send us your mailing address, we'll make sure you get a retail perch coffee mug, whether you drink coffee or not, you can have whatever you want in it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Back. Yeah, thank so you. I'll in, definitely put that so to in you. Case, in case you're back here, you know, as, um, uh, you know, like the future Jeff Bezos or something of uh, grocery e-commerce, you want to make sure you have the retail perch mug with you. I'll keep it close by. <laughs> Terrific. Anyway, listen, thank you so much for the time. This has been a fun conversation. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to this episode coming out and our listeners listening to it because I think there's a ton of stuff that they can benefit from. Gary, thank you both so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Gary, anything else? Or right. you... No, uh, thank you. Great awesome. to be with you. Yeah, well, see you guys. And we'll talk again in a week's time. And we have some more amazing guests lined up here. But, you know, I think you've got a really, really good view from a e-commerce company's view of, you know, where things have been, where they're going, how to make it profitable. It's just been hugely educational. Uh, if there's any new topics you want us to discuss, please do write to us. We're happy to. Or if you want to be a guest on the show, write to us. Right. And we'll talk to you soon. Be safe. And until um, next week. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary signing off. <laughs> <laughs>